what is it that happens right on the open where off i mean it's you see kind of happen all three of these days here um we've seen it quite a bit what what is going on there that the the price seems to not do so well in new york Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcade Economics. As we continue on our coverage of a fascinating economic environment, things continuing to escalate, at least from the reports that come back from Russia and the Ukraine, things escalating in the economy abroad where Janet Yellen still says no cause for concern, yet the situation and the uh, obvious would suggest otherwise um, so a lot happening and also a lot of investors wondering why silver and gold seem to get pummeled right on the open in New York time every day. And I think that is in this context, a very valid question and concern. And fortunately, joining me to dig into that is one of the gold and silver experts in the world, Dave Kranzler of Investment Research Dynamics. So Dave, welcome on in, my friend. How are you today? Doing okay. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well as I continue my tour across the silver capital of the planet in Mexico, heading east these days. So it's nice to have a new garden and a new perspective to dig into the gold and silver markets. I actually listened to your chapter of the big silver short while I was driving yesterday, and it's interesting. Uh, and we'll touch on that later, something you said in there that how that plays in now. But to start things off, I know you don't like the Kitco chart, but because it has those great colors, which I love so much, and really shows what a lot of investors, I've even had some mining executives asking lately about what is it that happens right on the open where off, I mean, it's, you see, kind of happen all three of these days here. Um, we've seen it quite a bit. What What is going on there that the, the price seems to not do so well in new york you're talking about um because I, I happen to notice uh just this morning as a matter of fact that you're right that they they the, the the price got slammed right as um the nyse started opened for business so i i mean to be honest i mean you know oh there's you know there's they're smashing gold and silver again is the sun up there's there's a lot of there's certain times during the trading day when they always seem to get pummeled and one of them happens to be when the new york stock exchange opens up <clears throat> it's also when the comex floor trading opens up which is <clears throat> 820 for gold and 830 for silver new york time there's also another time that they like to hit it is um, going into the AM London fix price fixings. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a double. I think it's funny. They must laugh themselves. It's a double entendre, right? It really is a, a time to fix the price of gold and silver when the when the AM or PM fixings happen. It usually seems to happen more often at the AM fix. So, I, I mean, certainly there wasn't any specific news that happened right at 9.30 East Coast time that would have caused, you know, a, a price a price rediscovery for silver and gold at 9.30. So I, honestly, I it's just 
it's just one of those things that over the years I've just come to accept that it's going to happen. Another really popular time we saw it last we saw it last Friday is is uh, Friday afternoon after the stock market closes is probably the least you know but the Globex Comex or the CME Globex computer trading system is still open for business until roughly 4:45 New York time and and it it always seems to get slammed you know Friday afternoon in, in the in the waning hours of of the Globex system trading so um I mean your your guess is maybe it's 5:45 New York time um but you know it's just illiquid and it gives them a chance to push down the price and I've noticed recently on Fridays that in the last five minutes you get a spike up in price and I'm sure that's short covering so you know I who knows what the rationale is for why they decided to start slamming it when the stock market opens <laughs> I'm open to ideas <laughs> other than it's just part and parcel of the general um attempt to control the price rise of gold and silver that i've observed over the last 21 years yeah and i guess when you mention when the stock market opens although the although to be clear were you saying two separate times because you mentioned the gold and silver opening 8 20 and 8 30 and then stock market at 9 30 so just to be clear on both of those occasions is what you're saying right and you know, it's it's true. I mean, for as long as I've been watching this market and been involved in it, yeah, when the COMEX opens, boom, you know, uh, there, there's a price slam. The, oh, you know, the, the, the hits at 930 seem to be a more recent phenomenon. Like when I say recent, like, again, don't hold me to the, to the time frame, but say the last decade or maybe maybe starting in 2011, I don't know. Um, but it, it, you know, it wasn't always the case that it was um, near automatic that we were going to see a price hit uh, when the New York Stock Exchange opened. Today, as a matter of fact, I'm just looking at a, a 15 minute chart of gold. You did, you know, we had a we had a price hit going into <clears throat> the fix, and then it and then it bounced. There must have been some demand for gold on the AM fix. I'll I'll see the data tomorrow. Uh, and then it was, it was hit again, you know, like I said, you know, right as the COMEX floor was opening and then it bounced and then it was hit again when the New York Stock Exchange opened. So maybe they decided to, to hit it on all three occasions in celebration of FOMC day, because we do know that on average and in general, and it's been shown with data that the week going into an FOMC meeting the price of gold tends to tends to decline, you know, at least up until the, the FOMC policy statement is released. This is a double whammy week because we also know that weeks when the monthly employment report is released that they like to push down the price of gold and silver. So um, this is this will be a double whammy week. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this afternoon after at, during and after the Powell circus. I guess it's, it's a it's a press conference. I call it a circus, uh, and then we'll see what happens. You know, if gold bounces and silver bounces, we'll see what happens tomorrow and and Friday morning. 
but I will say just expect more volatility this week, regardless of what the tenor is of, of the FOMC policy statement and what BS Powell drops in his presser. Yeah, he'll probably explain how inflation's under control. Uh, still a way to go with those <laughs> rates until he hits the 20% Volcker. Volcker didn't have a QE balance or, <laughs> you know, uh, any of the other things that have been going on here. Uh, although back to the gold and silver, when I think about the open, it was it actually reminds me of when I was uh, first clerking for a specialist on the American Stock Exchange and then eventually became a specialist and was part of the process of opening it. It's like on one hand, now I don't know how much that's evolved since today and again, a different market, yet still there were all those orders that came in overnight that or be or prior to the open that you know, are getting sorted and balanced out. So on one hand, I could see how, you know, perhaps there could be some factors influencing the open, although I don't remember any of our options or that we were making markets for just to have a straight nosedive so regularly. Um, but Dave, aside from perhaps the specifics of this guy pressed this button or this guy from JP Morgan did this or that, I mean, I think there's enough out there that you can get what's happening, especially to me, you know, even aside from JP Morgan and their $920 million fine going back years earlier when Deutsche Bank released those trader transcripts. If you actually read through those, which, you know, I, I have and, and still do because it's stunning. In fact, I believe it was uh, one of the transcripts from May 11th of 2011 so this was as silver was coming down from 50 and you hear the guys talking about hammering the thing uh, there was one day i went through the you know I, I was matching up the what they were saying with the prices and they, they were talking about hey let's smash the heck out of it today and i think it drops from 39 to 35 that afternoon I know there's, you know, a lot of the world that still hears this as gold and silver manipulated as conspiracy theory talk. I, I guess I get that. I also think if they wanted to see all the data points I've looked at or that you've talked about or that the other people who have been digging through this have seen that it would be more clear yet. The question I got specifically from, from someone last week, we'll, we'll leave nameless, but it was just like, he was saying, there, there, there's got to be something else going on here. This can't just be the, the conspiracies of the banks hammering this stuff and controlling it. I mean, he was almost perplexed as someone who's involved in the industry, been doing this for a long time, and that the price of world commodities that, that we're using could just really be getting decided by what a bunch of, you know, Harvard and, and Wharton and Princeton and Yale MBA frat boy grads just because they're given a bonus. So it's, and I think that's the same thing many investors feel where it's like, you know, they're like, all right, well, we know the banks rig it, but it, it couldn't really be this extreme where in the end, <laughs> I don't know what else to say, except I think it is. We've heard these things. We've seen it happen over again. We heard Bart Chilton say it, especially in the Bart Chilton interview. The part that stuck out me the most was when I said, hey, here's how I've come to understand it. I don't get to see the trading records, but he's like, yeah, that's exactly how it happens. The only difference now is that when it happens, it's bigger. Yet you have a situation where here, I mean, we, I mean, you research these mining companies. I talked to them one after another on the show and they're saying, hey, we're not, 
you know, it's only the few and the brave who are even like trying to do a new project in this type of environment. I mean, I don't know how you're really supposed to plan for such a thing. So I think there's that belief where it's like people see that it's happening yet, even despite that it's like, but this couldn't be the way that a world commodity that is used in a lot of things that people need to do. I mean, I don't know, five years from now, or, or are we not going to be using as, as many computers? That are, are like, right? But it's at the same time, we're seeing a government where Biden says, hey, we got to protect uh, Ukraine. I'm not sure if that's exactly how it's going down, but hey, inflation, well, I'll solve it. Months later, he's talking about the Putin price hike, saying watch out for food shortages. Politics aside, I think we're seeing that the people in charge are not planning for these things. And for the people who are planning, whether on the investor or the mining side, Again, I know I'm, I'm repeating myself here, but what, what is your opinion? Is it really that the price of these commodities is has very little to do with the underlying supply and demand? Well, first of all, <clears throat> I think it depends on the commodity you're talking about. So, so oil obviously is a highly politicized commodity and it's it's clearly manipulated. I mean, they can control the price by how much how much output they allow. You know, OPEC, uh, Russia, Russia could cut off the, the pumping out oil for a while, and the price would go to the moon, right? But you're you're talking about commodities. I mean, and in a sense, I, I really don't I don't like the idea of lumping gold and silver into the same basket as commodities. Gold and silver are money. It's the world's oldest form of money. Silver is first and foremost a monetary metal. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, and, and that, that, I mean, that every, a lot of people make that same mistake because that's part of what they wanted to do when they, when Nixon closed the gold window, freed the dollar from the constraints of a gold standard so that they could print it and issue debt is they, they basically have wanted everyone to think of gold and silver as commodities well yes silver has fantastic value as a commodity but it's first and foremost a monetary metal and that's why i focus more on gold and silver than i do on copper copper is a commodity it's an you know industrial commodity it's it's, it's not a monetary metal and neither is platinum or palladium um gold does <laughs> gold is too valuable as a wealth preservation asset to be used as a commodity except in small amounts by dentists, and I'm not even sure that they use gold anymore for, for, for tooth fillings or tooth cappings or whatever they use the gold for in their in their tooth tooth repair business. So, um, so I mean, you know, the propagandists have, have accomplished their goal when everyone looks at gold as being um, commodities. They're not; they're monetary metals, and that that's that's the reason why governments. And specifically, the Western governments work so hard to control the price rise of gold and silver. But, you know, they, they win the battles. They've been winning the battles along the way, but they're losing the war, right? And since, 19, since 2001, gold's been the best performing asset, bar none. Silver, I mean, I ran the numbers last summer, and I think silver was like third behind the NASDAQ. And I'd have to rerun. You know, I don't even really care. I just know that silver has been one of the best performing asset classes since 2001. So, you know, the, yeah, they're winning battles along the way, but they're losing the war. And it, it just requires having a long-term perspective. And, and I think with, 
the the developments that we're seeing going on, the shift we're seeing going on with Russia. And I have no doubt that China is also, um, you know, in support of this and, and at some point will make the same move. We're going to start to see a shift back to some type of, of, cur of reserve currency that will be backed by gold and probably have to throw silver into the basket. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. I should say throw silver back into the basket because the dollar used to be backed by silver, right? So uh, the, the silver dollar certificates, I think I gave you one um, where you could actually take that certificate at one point in time, take it to your local bank and exchange it for silver. I want to bring it to your house, exchange it for some silver, uh, get get a nice silver panda, which I know is your favorite. How about no? <laughs> Although, Dave... I like my uh, silver. I don't, I don't like my paper money. I like my silver and gold. <laughs> well, I, I, there's a growing list of people who agree with you here. The Kremlin, as you just mentioned, confirms intention to back ruble with gold and commodities. And we'll come back to this, although just to finish up some of the other commodity pricing again, here's the nickel chart, um, which is fascinating because if you chop off those last three zeros and look at it as if it was the silver price, there it is you know, floating in the teens and then goes up to the 20s. And there you can see like a nice, you know, $48 silver price before, I don't know, uh, for Ross Tam's down at the 50 level like he does at 30. But I mean, to what we were saying earlier, where here the thing spiked because some guy who amazingly, I don't know, this might be the best part that he, the, the guy who was short is actually known as Big Shot. So... <laughs> I mean, just as if this didn't, you know, it's like one of those things where, you know, you get pulled over and it's like, oh, that's John Smith in the back prison. Oh, no, that's my boy, Big Shot, you know, and so it doesn't sound good. And then JP Morgan's their broker. So, I mean, I don't know. It, it seems to me like the price of nickel wasn't 23,000, then 50,000, and it's just supply and demand changes. But again, it's what these shops and their contracts are positioning, which, you know, the fact that JP Morgan and Big Shot can get together and tamp it back down to the 30 level. <laughs> I mean, if I'm buy if I'm producing nickel or a consumer of nickel, you know, I'm it's like a little bit hard to say that that's just supply and demand. Um, although, again, as you mentioned here, with some people not wanting the paper stuff quite as much. Kremlin confirms intention to back ruble with gold and commodities. Now, we've seen them talking about this for a while, but now saying that Russian experts are working on a project to back the Russian ruble with gold and other commodities. So it sounds like now, all right, let's bring on the best and brightest. You know, we, we had to play defense for a little while there, but how do we do this on a more permanent basis? Um, assuming you may have seen this one already, Dave, uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I've been watching this whole thing develop. I think I think that's uh, if 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 the if the East wants to defend themselves against the West, that's that's probably one of the best ways to do it is is to back your currency with with gold and maybe oil. Um, maybe and silver. The, the 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 power of what that has done. I just saw the chart this morning. The ruble priced in dollars is now back it's higher than it was before before there was ever talk of discussions of russia 
um, moving in, you know, invading Ukraine. So, or I should say invading NATO. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, I mean, you know, ever since the initial hit, and I have a feeling that the same people who, who, um, who, who give act, you know, physical encouragement in, in, in the downward pressure of, of gold and silver prices, I, I also have a feeling they were in there doing the same thing to the ruble when the ruble fell off a cliff. But now it's back above relative to the dollars back above where it was in, in late February. So, I mean, to me, that tells you the value of, of, a, of a country um, backing its, its currency with, with actual, with real money. Yeah, well, it's uh, interesting you mentioned that was there someone in there uh, adding some extra paper hammer action on. An encouragement. <laughs> because despite, you know, we, we saw all these companies join uh, Biden, uh, Biden's take of the situation against the Putin price hike. And I'm, I'm reading the reports, Shell continues to just give up $25 billion investment because they want to support Biden. Yet J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs were in there trading away. So I guess that's just how it goes. Although, Dave, interesting, the fellow here, Nikolai Patrushev, who is apparently high up in the Russian government, actually look at his transcript. He says the same thing you did, where now the West is making a similar pirate raid on Russia. And in this connection, the question arises as to just how justified was the decision to place gold in foreign exchange reserves abroad. Um, and he talks about the current global financial system is built solely on trust, including in the United States as the issuers of the issuer of the world's reserve currency. Half a century ago, the gold factor was present, but in 1971, the United States untied its currency from its quotes, which made it possible to issue money virtually uncontrolled. Certainly, that's what we've seen. Now, it's... I say this as someone, I'm in Mexico because I left because of these things. I saw the inflation that was coming. I didn't know they were going to take it to the point where they had actually risked the food supply. Yet you have a setup that, aside from the fact that everyone follows it because they're wondering, well, if we don't have that, what else do we do? I mean, it's the biggest Ponzi scheme in history. The only reason I ever hear anyone say to continue to use it is because, well, what else are we going to do? At some point, that would seemingly end. It seems like Russia and a lot of other places are now taking action where, I mean, it used to be you don't say those things because then you get some military problems. And I guess that touches on what I, I picked up when I was reviewing your chapter from the Big Silver Short yesterday. You said that the U.S. would go to war before they'd ever lose a grip on their currency. And I think that's fair, but they're at war now. I haven't seen anything saying I haven't seen any anything suggesting that things are de-escalating. I mean, you know, now it's NATO against Russia and their and their teams. I mean, I don't want to inappropriately or or lightly call this World War Three, but there's some things that do not look good there. And it's like now that's in place. And we've seen Putin was talking about how he wasn't too thrilled with the Rothschild dollar, the petrodollar. I mean, he sells his treasuries. He tells you about it. They, they, they're saying gold and silver. They, they backed it temporarily. Now they're, they're, they're talking about it again. 
So, I mean, now that war is there. And anyway, any thoughts on that? I mean, you pretty much laid out what's going on. I mean, you know, follow the money. The U.S. has contributed 10 times more money than the next largest contributor to what's going on to the Ukrainians. So, I mean, and, you know, let's face it, NATO is, is just a beard for the U.S. military. So, um, I mean, it is what it is. And I, at the root of this, could it be because uh, the powers that be in, in, the, in the Pentagon and, um, you know, the, the big bank, the higher ups of the big banks, the banking system, the higher ups there, you know, do, do they, do they see the, you know, the writings on the wall for the dollar and they're going to, they're going to try and they see who, who has the potential to displace the dollar. Yeah. I think, I think that's, I think that's very part, a, a big part of what's at the root of this. So um, take it for what it, what it, what it is, but I think that's a big part of what's going on is that, I mean, look at all the, you just look at the leverage at every level of the U.S. economic system, the private sector, you know, households, corporate, state and local governments, and then, of course, the federal government. And then you factor in all of the derivatives that are, that are kind of, uh, I, I like to say, cocooned around that leverage, which, which amplifies the leverage. I mean, it, it's this... Calling it a Ponzi scheme scheme is a compliment, <laughs> and I'm sure they, you know, we can't be the only ones who see that, right? They they know it, and uh, you know, it seems to me historically when there's been shifts like that, you know, economic shifts like this, um, you have a world war, you know, or a thousand years ago, uh, you know, what was then a world war? So, um, yeah, I think I think there's a real possibility that that this could develop into something a lot more serious. Obviously, I hope it doesn't. Um, and apparently some higher up at the Pentagon was actually dropped that hint, you know, in the news today, said this could get a lot more serious real quickly. Well, one hopes not, but I guess to the degree of just trying to incorporate what you can see and make the best of that. Again, you're mentioning how massive this is. Here you go at, uh, this is 2008, you see the low 1265. So basically from the low, even to now, after you have about like uh, 16,000 down to 12,000. So down 25% in, uh, let's call it very recent times in just a couple of months. This is November 18th. So yet still, a 10-bagger since QE came in, and uh, maybe it took a little while, but now we're seeing, uh, it seems like the interest rates finally causing a problem, seeing some of these things trade lower, and uh, in the end, I guess that's why, here's the balance sheet. This is without the balance sheet even being reduced. If they do ever reduce the balance sheet, we'll see how that goes. Um, although, Dave, uh, before we wrap up today, we did have some mining stock news out. Uh, and I guess if someone's looking to buy stocks, <laughs> I mean, obviously, I am biased as a silver fan and having uh, silver company sponsors, yet uh, I guess some of those tech stocks buying high seemed a little tricky. But 
no financial recommendation in in there as always consult your professionals but uh dave we did have this news from blackrock yesterday i know you're following them uh, i believe you still have blackrock invested in your fund and anything you could tell folks here yeah um the market didn't like it but you know i think the market was expecting a 50 million ounce resource but the, they this is a very conservatively done 43101 resource estimate in terms of like the cutoff grade that they use to go into the resource and i mean if you're trying to compare it to something like uh visla silver's resource they're not comparable they're not apples to apples because visla's resource has a much lower cutoff grade it's and so in my mind, it makes this resource estimate much, much more reliable. Remember, remember, these are just estimates. It's not, you know, too many people, especially retail investors, take these things as gospel, right? You know, this, this is just an estimate. And it's, it's a very early preliminary stage estimate. But, I mean, what it shows you, I mean, this will be, I believe, and I haven't verified this, but I'm pretty sure it's true. This will be after when Silvercrest Metals takes Los Chispas into production. This will be the highest grade silver development resource in the world. So, and this this thing, if, if you just have followed this company for the last year and a half, two years, um, th this project is enormous. And they're, they're finding more and more areas where there's potential mineralization to add to the resource every time they they extend their drill program so um i mean i i look at and we already have a, a pretty big position in the stock but I'm, at some point i'm going to be forced to add to it um and i would just look at this rather than be afraid of of what the stock market's reaction was to this and i'm positive it was all retail selling i mean there's there's no way a, a professional investor would look at this and say oh yeah um, I thought it'd be 50 million and, or even larger. And so I'm going to sell the stock. No, if you really dig into what this resource estimate is composed of, this is, this is a, this is a, a, a fantastic first cut at an initial resource estimate. So um, I look at, I look at the sell-off in the stock as a buying opportunity, if anything. All right. Well, I appreciate uh, good to get your professional opinion on that, especially since uh, you do. In addition to writing the Mining Stock Journal, you're also a fund manager. And last one before we wrap up here, we did have a request from a company that I had on last year, which was Silver Dollar Resources. They had some news out today. Uh, there was also a new research report, and uh, since we have you here, if you could share any thoughts you have on the silver dollar news. Sure. I mean, I, I spoke to Mike about a year ago also, so um, I, I had always wondered what happened to the La Jolla project. It was originally owned by Silvercrest Mines, and when First Majestic acquired Silvercrest Mines for the Santa Elena mine, um, the Las Chispas was spun off to uh, Silvercrest Mines Management, and that's now Silvercrest Metals. And uh, First Majestic kept La Jolla, and then they they spun it off to Silver Dollar. And um, it, I've always thought that this is potentially a, a, a very interesting resource. It's 
got some interesting things in it. I think it's it's probably it's probably going to be expensive to develop, which is probably why Silvercrest Mines never never really did a lot with it, other than that I think there was a um, an inferred resource that Silvercrest Mines had had advanced. Um, and I've always wanted to see what would happen if someone took this over and, and just started drilling the crap out of it, which is what Silver Dollar is doing. Now, I mean, specific to what was released today, I think you have to kind of evaluate it in the context of, of all the drill results that Silver, Silver Dollar has, has produced since they've owned it. Um, and, and, you know, I think this tells you, I think the results today tell you how potentially valuable this could be. And that doesn't mean it's ever going to be advanced into an actual mine. I mean, it's still in very, very preliminary development stage. And there's many risk hurdles from, you know, political risk hurdles, regulatory risk hurdles, um, et cetera, being able to raise enough capital to, to um, you know, continue advancing this. So there's, there's a lot of risks, but what I like about silver dollar is that uh, I think the share base fully diluted is like 45 million shares, which is great since this is early stage and they're going to have to do a, a, a number of financings in order to get this thing advanced. And, and I mean, at a $20 million market cap, it's a cheap option on something that could be, and again, I'm just pulling this number out of the air, but you know, hundred million, $200 million mine project. Um, and then I think Silver Dollar also has some some back burner properties, projects in Canada or something like that. Yeah, and actually, one thing when you mentioned we actually own some Silver Dollar because I I like the optionality. You know, it's 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 very underweighted at this point, but um, I like I like the optionality upside of this. It's, like I said, it's a cheap call option if you like to play call options. Here we see uh, some quick valuations as they've had coverage initiated here by Fundamental Research Core. So I'll scroll back down there and uh, if you have any other final comments here, uh, so we see here the list of the valuations they're looking at here and any thoughts on that relative to some of the other names or just anything else you'd like to add uh, in general in regards to Silver Dollar? I mean, it looks like that's kind of silly because every one of those projects is different and unique and, you know, derive their value in different ways. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think you can say, oh, well, you know, there's, there's silver dollar and, and its market cap is $21 million. So, so it's cheap because Santa Cruz silver mining is 139 million. You know, you, you can't, you can't do that. But, uh, um, you know, like I said, it, it's, it's a, high risk, high return project. And it, I mean, it's, it's, it's not that common anymore that you can, you can buy, a, you know, a $21 million option on something that could be worth nine figures at some point down the road. You usually have to pay closer to, you know, somewhere between 50 and a hundred million to, to, to buy that call option. So, um, you know, and you're, you know, you're, you gotta, I mean, your downside here is limited to the price of the stock, 50 cents in US dollars, 53 cents, whatever it is. Um, and I mean, your upside could be 10 or 20 times that. So I, I like that risk return matrix. Yeah, I think it'll also be interesting to see how the environment changes. Uh, what if the Putin price hike blows through the 
Rusty Benham price silver tamp down. <laughs> um, you know, and it, it would be interesting how things change. Again, I know a lot of people can't invest for, hey, when silver is $50 or higher, this is how it looks, but at least something worth thinking about. And Dave, perhaps in wrapping up, you could just let folks know. Um, and by the way, silverdollarresources.com is where you can find out more information from there and Michael Romanek and the things that they're doing. Or if you'd like to get Dave's write-up on some of these, you can find Dave at Investment Research Dynamics, where he's got the Mining Stock Journal, the Short Sellers Journal, and he does the Mining Stock Daily Podcast with Trevor Hall. Um, so nice coverage of the market and certainly a lot of the things that I never found on Wall Street. So I appreciate you pointing out the alternate view. And sometimes it's hard when you don't know how long something can go on for yet. I don't know. I like to at least be prepared and figure out a plan to accommodate for the timing. And you would lay out a lot of the things that, well, we may not know when have been building towards that. It's similar to, you know, like you were saying a couple of years ago, they may go to war before the currencies unravel, but that could be what's happening uh, anyway. And you cover these things pretty darn well there. So uh, investment research dynamics and Dave, the link for that is where? In the description field below. This again. <laughs> right down there. Right. You know, I really need to change out those stacks of dollars for stacks of silver and gold. I made you a picture that had silver coins here, although I know you got nice website upgrade and everything. So uh, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll we'll resend it to you. Make sure you have that. But Dave, I'll talk to my you. web designer about it. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess when you're that good looking and that brilliant about mining stocks, you know, you can let some of these things go and... Um, <laughs> But either case, I do appreciate you checking in because the main question, though, of what I think it's hard for people to imagine that this is really how some of this pricing gets set. But thank you for sharing your insight there and also uh, covering some of the mining stocks. And we will look forward to doing this again soon, my friend. Sounds good, Chris.